In John chapter 13 and verse 17, the Bible says, If you know these things, happy are ye if you do them. I, I like to be happy, don't you? I mean, I, I, sometimes I do get a little angry, and sometimes I get sad, sometimes I even, you know, seethe a little bit, but truthfully, I'd rather be happy. I'd rather be happy. And, and sometimes in your life, you have to like Paul the Apostle where he said, I think myself happy. Sometimes you just got to think yourself happy. You got to think through it. You got to uh, press through some, some hard. Let me ask you this question. Is it true? Is it true that you could have everything going right in your everything going good? I mean, really, on the outside, everything going good in your life and still be unhappy. Is that true? And and let me ask you another question. But but on that, so sometimes people just say, I'm unhappy, I'm unfulfilled. What's going on? You know, nothing, really. Everything's going right. Why is that? You have another one, though, another question. Let me ask you this. Can it be possible that you can have trouble in your life? I mean, there's problems, things arise. But yet, you have joy, but yet you can be happy. The, the Bible talks about in Philippians chapter 4 in verse 6 and 7 it says, be careful for nothing. or Don't be anxious. Don't be full of care about anything. right? But in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. That would be a good motto. But in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. In everything that we face, everything that we're going through, pray about it. Talk to the Lord about it. Give thanks for it. You say it's hard to do that. Later in that chapter, he, later in the same chapter, he says, I can do all things through Christ which strengthens me. He says, Let your requests be made known unto God. And the peace of God which passes understanding shall keep your hearts and mind through Christ Jesus. An inner calm, an inner peace that God can give. He can give peace. He can give joy in our mind, even in trouble. Remember the story in the Old Testament where the Queen of Sheba goes and she gets a tour of the palace and the kingdom, the capital from Saul, checking out his wisdom and all this, all the things that he had uh, accomplished. And one of the things that she summarized after she saw all that was going on in the kingdom then, she said in 1 Kings chapter 10 and verse 8, she said, happy are thy men, happy are are these thy servants, which stand continually before thee and hear thy wisdom. When she was done seeing all the workings of the kingdom and all the workings of the palace, she said, one thing I noticed is how happy the people are. How happy the people are. You know, it was a great work environment. I, I would say that it would be a peculiar people, a peculiar people if we were had the joy of the Lord. As God's servants, as God's people, that we were able to find happiness in our service. The Bible says in Psalms 1 14, happy is that people that is in such a case, yea, happy is that people whose God is the Lord. Listen, if the Lord is our God, if Jesus Christ is our Savior, we have some things to be happy about. I mean, just big picture here, we have some things to be happy about. If the Lord is our God, and Jesus
Jesus Christ is our Savior. We can be some happy people. There's a, there's a principle, though, he says here in, in this verse that we just read, that it's not just what you know, but it's what you do with what you know that can bring joy, that can bring happiness. In other words, maybe another way to say it is you can find a person, a Christian, a believer, that just has childlike faith, right? Just believes God, that He is, and that He can, He is the rewarder of those that diligently seek Him. Just believes God. You can find a believer that just has faith in God. Then you can find someone that knows a lot of stuff about God, maybe, but has little faith. And I'm telling you, the person that just has faith is going to be a lot more happy. Going to have a lot more joy in their heart. So let's take this passage uh, beginning at verse 1 in John chapter 13. Boy, it's warm up here now. We got here this, we got, I got here this morning about... It was a little before nine, and Dr. Bill and Mrs. Bill are here. They're pouring kerosene. I don't know what there was a problem getting the fire started this morning. The, the wood was wet or something. It, it's all smoky in here. It was cold, but we got it got it good and hot now. I'll tell you what. It's hard to keep it just that perfect temperature, you know. John 13 and verse 1, it says, Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour was come, that he should depart out of the world unto the Father, having loved his own that were in the world, he loved them unto the end. We talked about last week, the hour was come. He had said earlier in John, the hour is not yet come. John chapter 2, the hour is not yet come. Now the hour has come. It's interesting, um, as you look at the Gospel of John, the first 12 chapters cover the first three, you know, three years of Christ's ministry kind of, kind of quickly. But then the last chapters, from, verse, from chapter 13 to chapter 21, John slows it way down. And those last chapters cover the last days of Christ here on earth as he's ready to ascend to heaven. And that's what we're starting here. These last days, the hour is come. The time has come now. In verse 2, And supper being ended, the devil having now put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hand, and that he was come from God and went to God, he rises from supper, laid aside his garments, and took a towel and girded himself. After that, he poured water in a basin. He began to wash his disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel wherewith he was girded. Then, come, then cometh he to Simon Peter, and Peter saith unto him, Lord, dost thou wash my feet? Jesus answered and said unto him, What I do thou knowest not now, but thou shalt know hereafter. He goes on to teach him that the Holy Spirit's going to reveal things to him, lead him into all truth. Things are going to make sense later when the comforters come. In verse 9, Simon Peter saith unto him, Lord, not, or verse 8, excuse me, Peter saith unto him, Thou shalt never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I wash thee not, thou hast no part with me. Peter, Peter, has, he, Peter has a problem. This is not the first time that Peter said never. You know, last week we talked about he wasn't going to allow Jesus Christ to be crucified, right? He said, No, I'm not going to allow you to be 
sacrifice. And Jesus said, what? Get thee behind me, Satan. You don't understand what's going on, right? There's something else going on. He said he would never deny Christ. Peter, Peter was... I think that Peter was a little bit in the flesh in the sense that he was confident in his flesh. He hadn't surrendered himself yet to... Uh, to see how weak he was in the flesh. He said, never this, never will I do that. And before long, he finds that all these things that he said never to ended up, ended up happening to him. It's almost like a, 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 a humility, though. He's like, Lord, you're not going to wash my feet. In, in, the, in the sense of that's a, that's a humble statement, but it's never, it's never humble to tell the master what to do. It's never humble to get in the way of what the Lord, the King, is doing. He says in verse 9, Simon Peter saith unto him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. And Jesus saith unto him, He that is washed needeth not save to wash his feet, but is clean every way. And ye are clean, but not all. For he, he knew who should betray him, therefore said he, Ye are not all clean. Peter Peter goes from you're never gonna wash, you know, you're never gonna wash my feet to you know wash wash all he's dramatic. Peter was a little bit dramatic. Verse 12. So after he had washed their feet, he had taken his garments and was set down again and saith unto them, Know ye what I have done unto you. This is amazing here that the master, that the creator, washes the feet of his creation, his, the creator. And not just, not just does Christ wash the feet of his disciples, but he washes the feet of Judas, who he knows is going to betray him. That's interesting, isn't it? You know, you know just a side note here. You know what we say sometimes when we serve other people? But what if they, you know, people hurt me? People will betray me. People are this and that. Hey, if we follow Christ, we're doing it for the Lord. Whether or not that they betray us, whether or not that they stab you, know, people thought they would stab you in the back, all these sort of things. Don't worry about that. Just serve the Lord with joy. Serve the Lord by serving other people without worrying about the outcome. Verse 13, you call me master and Lord and you say, well, for so I am. If I then your Lord and master and have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that ye should do as I have done unto you. Verily, verily, I say unto you, the servant is not greater than the Lord, neither he that is sent greater than he that sent him. If you know these things, happy are ye if you do them. The first point here in how to be happy is to be clean, is to be cleansed. Every wit, every bit. Clean all over. I, I think the bigger point here in this passage is not the feet, but the cleansing, the cleaning that the Lord is trying to, to show. In Exodus, in Exodus chapter 30, there's a passage about the tabernacle and establishing the worship. And he, and he starts in Exodus 30, verse 11 to 13, about making atonement for the people. Before the worship comes, there's atonement made. And then he says in Exodus chapter 30, verse 17 to 26, 
he goes through great detail on how they're to cleanse their hands and their feet uh, before they minister, before they serve, before they worship, before prayer, before all these things. He says it's important that you have a clean heart. We're going to together take of the Lord's Supper. And there's an element of the Lord's Supper that um, sometimes is overlooked. But it is clear in the scripture that there is a, there is a self-examination and a cleansing, a judge yourself as you be not judged, an examination that you take before the fellowship with the Lord, before the communion of his body being broken and his blood being shed. There is a cleansing that needs to happen, a, a cleaning, a confessing of sin that comes through. Take your Bibles, hold your uh, finger there, but turn to First Peter. First Peter, chapter two. First Peter, chapter two, and. Verse 1, he says, Wherefore, laying aside all malice and all guile and hypocrisies and envies and and all evil speaking, as newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word that ye may grow thereby. If so be that ye have tasted that the Lord is gracious. Verse 5, Ye also are lively stones, built up a spiritual house and holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. Look at verse 9. But ye are a chosen uh, generation, a royal priesthood, and holy nation, a peculiar people, that ye should show forth the praises of Him who have called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. He calls us here as believers, as Christians, He calls us a, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people. And as you go down through verse 11, He says, Dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul. You say, when you see the example back in Exodus of the priests, of the ministers coming and making atonement and cleansing themselves before they offer and, uh, prayers and sacrifices and all the incense and stuff before the Lord. We take that example ourselves of saying, hey, it is right to get a clean heart, to be cleansed before the Lord as, as, uh, as God's people, uh, to abstain from the uh, sins of the flesh that uh, separate us from the Lord. You say, how has that happened? Well, look at uh, Hebrews Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 19. Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus by a new and living way which he hath consecrated for us through the veil, that is to say, his flesh. And having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from the evil conscience 
and our bodies washed with pure water. So here we have this New Testament. We have a better tabernacle, a better high priest, a better sacrifice, and all these things. But he's still talking about us coming to the Lord, coming into the Holy of Holies, clean. Our conscience made made pure, made clean, um, being washed. In Ephesians chapter 5, as he's talking about the church uh, becoming one with Christ, he talks about that he may sanctify it, set it apart, and cleanse it by the washing of the water by the Word. God's constantly working in our life to what? Sanctify us, to set us apart for His service. That sanctification process comes with a lot of confession. Lord, be merciful to me. Lord, forgive me. Right? Getting a clean heart before the Lord. This isn't just... When I talk about asking the Lord for forgiveness of sins and being cleansed and being made clean, this isn't just... I believe it because the Bible says it's true that when we ask for forgiveness and come to the Lord that He forgives us. But it, to me, it's more than just a head knowledge. I feel it. I mean, when I'm, when I'm away from the Lord, when I'm walking my own way, doing my own thing, I, I, I'm unhappy, miserable. And sometimes it takes a just stopping where I'm at and confessing the sin in my life. Lord, God, forgive me for this. And you say, what happens? I mean, really, I feel forgiven. I feel like God has mercy and, and the fellowship is restored and brought back together. He makes that possible. Why? How? Through the blood of Jesus Christ. His body was broken. His blood was shed for us for salvation. Salvation is the super clean. (laughs) That is the deep clean. That is His blood washing away. That's the being clean every whit, every bit by salvation. But then there is a walk, a fellowship that we have with the Lord that even though we've been uh, forgiven, we've been set free, uh, there is a, a continual uh, confession that may have to happen as we have sin in our lives. But the hope that God gives in salvation, there's some verses, Romans 4, 8, where he says, Blessed is the man to whom the Lord will not impute sin. That's a good verse. I mean, when the Lord won't, you say, why is that? Because of salvation. There's a new birth that happens that God doesn't uh, put sin on their account. First uh, John chapter 3 and verse 9, the Bible says, Whosoever is born of God doth not commit sin, for his seed remaineth in him. God's seed, that incorruptible seed. And he cannot sin because he is born of God. There's a part of you that is that is saved, that is set apart, sanctified through the blood of Jesus Christ in which the Lord does not impute sin. But then there's the old man. And we have the hope of forgiveness in 1 John chapter 1, and verse 9. You know these verses, but they're good to remember. We're talking about being clean and being cleansed. In 1 John 1 9, the Bible says, If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You know, the Lord's so merciful. He's so long suffering. If we'll just humble ourselves before the Lord, He says, 
I'll forgive you of your sins. I'll cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Verse 10, the Bible says, though, if we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. Verse 1 of chapter 2, my little children, these things write unto you that you sin not. And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. What a great advocate that we have to go before God for us. Jesus Christ. Amen. You say, how is it that we can be set free from our sin? How is it that we can be forgiven through our advocate? Jesus Christ, God's Son. But you couldn't find a better advocate to go before God than God's Son. He says, for He is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. It is a... It is healthy, it is wise in our lives to have time where we get clean. Get our heart clean before God, confess sin, uh, get, get right. Humble ourselves. It takes some humbling, but it certainly is worth it. Happy are you if you do that. Happy are you if you do that. That's, it's, it's the story all over and over again of the two men that went to the temple to pray, right? The one, the one was just, he trusted in himself how good he was and how righteous he had was. And the publican smote upon his breast, God be merciful to me, a sinner. And he said, I tell you, the one went to his house justified. The one went to his house happy, right? Forgiven. That's what we want. We're not trying to, we're not trying to impress other people how good we are, how righteous we are. We're trying to fellowship and walk with the Lord. The next point, though, in this passage that the Lord gives us is an example of service. Not just of cleansing, which is the bigger picture, I do believe, but menial service. Humility and love toward each other as brothers and sisters in Christ. This is, this is the question that I got on Friday. Uh, the uh, guy called me and one was talking about, you know, it is feet washing, should that be a, like a doctrine in a sense of, should that be practiced like we practice the Lord's Supper, an ordinance, or, or, or baptism, right? Follow the Lord. I said, I don't think that the, the doctrine, the principle is the feet washing. The principle is us not being above serving in menial ways our brothers and sisters in Christ. In, 2000, in 2017, in the United States, uh, it's not that big of a help to wash each other's feet, right? We don't walk barefoot or open-toed sandals on dusty roads. I mean, practically, it's not like we really need our feet washed by each other in the sense that that's something that we need to do when we go in and out of the house, right? But there are things that we can do to show our humility, right? To show that we are a servant, to be able to serve our other brothers and sisters in Christ, and not just serve them, but even as Christ gave us the example, to serve sometimes our enemies, like Judas. Listen, if Jesus Christ showing that he is the creator, the master, he is a servant king, we're no better than him. There's no, in other words, there's no job done in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ that is beneath us. Right? 
He says even if to those that are done to the least of these, talking about his brother, is done for Christ. Happy are ye if you do that. Listen, so many times in the world today, we, we, it's so easy to, be, to try to live a self-centered life. It's not just the world today. That's just human nature everywhere, right? But truthfully, a life lived for ourselves, uh, consumed upon ourselves, we know by, we already know by experience that that doesn't make us happy, right? That doesn't make us happy. To be able to serve other people, to be able to uh, become a servant, happy are ye if you do this. As we take time here to partake of communion, I want to put the practice, the first point of cleansing and confession. We're going to have a time of prayer before we take a communion, a time to search our heart and uh, confess sin in our lives. You say, here's the thing. You say, there's certain things that I ask for forgiveness for all the time, you know? Things that I'm constantly asking, you know, things that I battle with. I would, I would encourage you, don't give up. Continue to side on the side of God and say, hey, this is sin in my life. This issue in my life is sin. And though I struggle with it and though I'm human and though I battle with this, I'm going to confess it for what it is and ask God to forgive me and ask God to help me and deliver me from it. Listen, if we want to be a fruitful church, we want to be fruitful people, there's some purging that goes on, right? Uh, there's some cleansing that goes on. And that is so much better to be done ourselves, to judge ourselves, that we be not judged. It's so much better to humble ourselves in the sight of the Lord and confess that sin so that uh, God will just have mercy on us. That's what he says in the passage of 1 Corinthians 11. He says, but let every man examine himself and so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup, for he, for if we would judge ourselves, we should not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened of the Lord that we should not be condemned with the world. Take time to confess sin, forsake it, and find the mercy. But there's another part, part and a big part of the communion that we don't want to miss, is this is, this is a memorial. This is a time to remember. As often as you do it, do it in remembrance of me. This is a memorial of how we find cleansing, of how we are made clean. So how is it? It's through the atonement that Jesus Christ made, through his blood being shed on the cross, his body being broken for us. And then it shows, and this is why we do it, as a church, this is why we do it as, as a community. It shows our fellowship. You know, our fellowship is not just you know, the, all, the, all the things that we have in common. Hurt. Some of us have things in common. Some may not have things in common. But the thing that brings us together as brothers and sisters in Christ is Christ. 
as we take communion together, as we take it, we look around and say, listen, I'm doing this with my brothers and sisters in Christ, and the thing that bonds us together, the thing that brings us together, is Christ. His fellowship. Different parts of the body, but all parts of the body and all important. Take your, take your Bibles and turn there where Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. 1 Corinthians chapter 11. You know, before you uh, partake of the Lord's Supper, if there's, if there's something in your heart, like you have a, a, an ought or a problem with another brother and sister in Christ, I would say that the best thing to do is just in prayer before you take of the Lord's Supper, forgive them. Forgive them. In the name of Christ. Because He forgave us, forgive them. Release them of the debt that they owe you in the sense of the thing that they've done against you. Why? Set them free so that you can fellowship with the Lord in communion in a close way. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, and we'll read these verses. Verse 23, For I have received of the Lord, which I also delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus Christ, or the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of me. After the same manner also he took the cup, and when he had supped, saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood. This do ye as oft as you drink it in remembrance of me. That's what I said in verse 28. And let a man examine himself. And so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. Take a time of prayer. Take a time of self-evaluation to look into your, to our own hearts and to uh, confess sin, get right with the Lord, and then together we'll take the Lord's